MLS playoffs don't start for another two weeks, but it's going to feel like the playoffs this weekend with some of the matches. This is the SBI Show. I am Garrett Cleverly. As always with me is Ivis Galarsep. What's up, man? Nothing much, man. I'm uh, back home in Jersey after uh, a pretty crazy week on the road. And, uh, you know, with all that happened with the international break and those international matches, you would you would think that, you know, it, there'd be a big letdown after that. But looking at this MLS schedule, it, it, it looks like this is going to be a, a crazy weekend to follow that up. Well, the thing is, all nine matches have some impact on the playoff implications. I mean, every single game. I mean, can you think of another year, Ivis, where we, we where it's coming down to the wire like this with so many teams competing for playoff spots and the supporter shield at the same time? No, not not even close. Really? Uh, yeah. it's, it's, not, it, not this many teams. Not it's, this many it's, teams. it's amazing. I mean, and, and great job by the MLS. Uh, not, not Horrible. Oops. Not the MLS. Great job by Major League Soccer to schedule all these matchups to, to have this at the end of the year. I mean, you see some other matchups like Sporting Kansas City, D.C. Obviously, they thought that was going to be a big, a big matchup at the end of the year. Uh, but there's some other ones, though, Ivis. The one I'm, I'm surprised that you weren't able to stay in Portland long enough to watch the Real Salt Lake and Portland Timbers game. <laughs> well, you know, I would have liked to have stayed, but uh, I think a week on the road was enough. Uh, you know, I have a feeling we'll see these teams maybe meet again in the playoffs, but uh, that that should definitely be a good game to watch. Well, think about this: this is it the fourth time these teams have 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 meet have met now in this season? Two uh, regular season games and uh, one U.S. Open Cup game, and all these matches have come since August. The thing about this game, Ivis, it's interesting, is Real Salt Lake is kind of like a, a boogeyman team for the Portland Timbers or, or a cursed team. RSL's 2-0-1 in three matches against Portland and just has dominated Portland. But Portland playing really well, coming off a big victory over Seattle last week. RSL without Morales uh, and their back line on RSL's is kind of still a little questionable at times. I think this is a great opportunity for Portland here to defeat Real Salt Lake, get three points, be one of the favorites for the Supporters' Shield and shake the boogeyman that they've had against Real Salt Lake. You love this term, boogeyman. I'm sorry, but three games does not make a boogeyman, all right? It's just three games. They're 2-0-1. They've had their number. A boogie, uh, a, a bo- boogeyman team, bogey team, is something that happens over the years. Like Houston over Sporting Kansas City. That's a that's a boogeyman to use your your term. Well, you can have uh, you can have one no, in one no, season. No, yes, you can. Ter- you've been ki- you've been beating that one to death, man. It's time for a new term. No, no, it's no. no. In, for, in a yeah, season, a team can own no. another team in a season. Yeah, yeah, but that that's not what the bo- like boogeyman is like. A, okay, well, like, they're, they're fine. It could be another just definition. Say they have their number this year. Just say they have their number this year. There well, they go. have the number. It's 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 the same you thing. Go. You're 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 nitpicking. You're you're nitpicking. It's not. It's not. I'm just not a fan of the term. But anyway. I know it's your team. I know you're also late. I know you're gonna, you know. They're not my team. I, hey, I picked them. I picked against them here, man. So they're not my team. <laughs> well, look, yeah, like you said, I mean, Portland's uh, Portland's on really good form right now. They're playing with a lot of confidence. They're uh, unbeaten in six. They haven't lost at home since March, which is crazy to think about. The last time they lost at mm-hmm. home was at uh, Hasun Kamara overhead kick uh, to to knock them off. So you know, it took something special to beat them. At Gerald Wen and, uh, you know, with RSL, RSL's been a little up and down. You know, they've got one win in four games. Obviously, international duty has is, 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 is cost them, and a couple of injuries is all, have also affected them. They should have, you know, they, they, their cast of uh, international characters back, Beckerman, Romando, Saburio, they should have those guys back. But Portland at home, I got to tell you, they're so tough to deal with, the way they pressure the midfield and, uh, you know, we also like the last time these teams met regular season, they really smoked them. And and I think that mm-hmm. I'm sure Caleb Porter has watched that game enough times. And I'm sure he's ready to get this team on the field and go after them. And it, it's not a gimme that they're going to win. But I think with the home the home edge that they're going to have and with the form, the, the form that they've been on, I think they're going to have the edge in this one. I agree. Another uh, game in the West that has a big playoff implication for, for one team, Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, they're going to be in Colorado taking on the Rapids. The Rapids, I, I, Van, uh, excuse me, I was, Vancouver, they need a victory here. This is going to be home and home with these two teams. Vancouver needs six points out of these next two games to even get into the playoffs. The destiny is in their hands. If they pick up one point, they're out. They don't qualify for the playoffs. So Vancouver desperately needs three points they showed better last week against Seattle defeating them four to one showed much they showed very well against Portland at the very tail end of that game uh Manet has been playing lights out 
And you're going to have some questions with Vancouver. What type of lineup are you going to see? You know, are you going to see Mene Maddox out there? You know, you got Camilo, uh, Kenny Miller as well, too. I, however, though, think that Colorado's back line is much better than Seattle. And I think Colorado at home will take care of business against Vancouver. I agree with you. Uh, I think, uh, you know, we have, we have seen Vancouver uh, show some flashes. But, you know, I think their team, <clears throat> aside from that Seattle win, uh, obviously the – I think they're a team that that does better coming coming from behind uh, when they throw in those speedsters uh, to to do damage. You know, I give them some credit against Portland. You know, that was a perfect example. Portland really outplayed them, but they kept it close, and then and then Camillo just took over. Uh, but Colorado, I think I just think Colorado at home is going to be too tough to deal with. I, th- I think they're, you know, they obviously come, are coming off a loss, but I think at home it's a different it's a different setting for them. They play with a lot more confidence. Uh, I, I'm going to have to give them the edge in this one. Yeah, the other thing that that's also kind of like an underlying thing about this game, where I mean, this this these, these two games right here could set the stage for these two teams for the next couple of years. Because when you look at like the young talent Ivis on on Colorado, and you look at the young talent on Vancouver, with a lot of these guys, I mean, if these teams can keep hold of guys, you know, Dylan Powers, Manet, Darren Maddox, Clint Irwin, I mean, these two teams over the next couple of years could be you know constantly fighting for playoff spots. I won't go that far. Colorado, I'll agree with you. They have they have some of the they have some of the deep one of the deepest collections of young talent in the league. Mm-hmm. I don't think Vancouver's in the same class. I think Vancouver has two guys that you mentioned. But Colorado, <laughs> I mean, you got two guys. You're right. If, if we go, you got Maddox. If we go Colorado, Vancouver like three years ago, we could have included Omar on that list too. Well, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> Colorado, I mean, you, you just have a laundry list of guys: Deshaun Brown, Dylan Powers, Shane O'Neill, Clint Irwin. Chris Clute. I mean, they have a they have a bunch of new faces there, and that group's going to be together a while. Dylan Cerna, uh, another young player who is, hasn't broken through yet, but has tons of talent. That Colorado, that that nucleus of young talent is really strong, and and I think they and the Galaxy actually in the West are two teams that have really strong collections of young of young talent that you're going to want to watch them, uh, you know, going forward. Vancouver's a little bit of a different uh, animal, just because yes, they have those two guys. They mm-hmm. have Maddox. They have Manet. But you don't know who's gonna, even going to be the coach next year, right? Because, I mean, I don't think – I mean, barring Vancouver storming their way into the playoffs here, I, I don't think Martin Rennie comes back. I think if they miss the playoffs, I think Rennie's gone. I think he's already gone. But, you know, we'll see what happens in these in these next two games. It's really a two-game playoff. It's, a, it's an early playoff series in the regular season. If Vancouver finds a way to beat Colorado twice, they have a really good chance of getting in. But I don't see that happening. I think Colorado's too good a team too deep a team and uh, I think they're going to get the job done. Another team in the West that will be keeping an eye on this game as well as their game is the Seattle Sounders as they're on the road taking on FC Dallas. Seattle Ivis possibly looks like they're getting healthier with Clint Dempsey, Obifay Marmons, Eddie Johnson all training this week. Not sure if they'll play. Another question mark with Brad Evans. How many minutes does he get in this game coming off of two games with the U.S. Men's National Team? For Seattle, big miss for this one. Alonzo out with the red card for what happened last week. And look, Seattle, I think they're going to be happy, yes, that you have FC Dallas on the schedule. But Seattle's not out of the woods yet, and they're going to be taking on an FC Dallas team that really has nothing to play for. But they did show pretty good last week against the Chicago Fire, I thought. And you have an opportunity for some younger guys on FC Dallas to get some playing time, maybe a guy like Walker Zimmerman. So for Seattle, I think they'll get the victory over FC Dallas, but I don't think it's going to be as as a blowout as the records might indicate. Uh, yeah, I mean, it probably won't be a blowout, but I, I'm going to put my money on Seattle. I think Dallas is dead in the water. And I don't honestly. If you look at that, if you look at Dallas's game last week and say, "Oh, they played," you know, they, it wasn't that bad. They were losing three nil. Okay, they were and just because they got a couple of in late consolation goals doesn't hide the fact that they were blown out and blown away at home in a game they needed a result in. That that team has been on fumes and has pretty much been dead in the water for a few weeks now. Uh, so you know, now that they're done, now that they're officially done, and they don't have anything to play for. I just don't see them getting up for this game. I think they've. I don't want to say they've quit on Chela Simon, but I don't think his message is getting through to that team. And and, and you know it's time for a change there. I, I don't. I just really don't see him rallying the troops there and getting them to put in a strong performance. I think Seattle, on the other hand, even though they lost to Portland, they're a team. I thought they showed some qualities against Portland. You know they kept that game close. They could have very easily come away with a point there. They hit the crossbar. It was it was a closer game than anyone would have expected when you looked at the lineup that they put on the field in Portland. Now that they're going to have some of these guys back, I think I think they're just going. I think they're going to be too much 
for Dallas to deal with just because it's a Dallas team that just looks dead in the water. They just don't look like – I mean, other than when Kenny Cooper comes in and, you know, Kenny Cooper, God bless him, the guy, he's so streaky. When he's on, he's on. When he's not, he can go months without scoring. But right now he's giving you something, but I think it's – Late. I, I just don't see Dallas stepping up for that one. I, I meant more of the play of uh, Castillo of, in, in FC Dallas against Chicago Fire. However, though, his quality in the final third lacked. He created lots of chances for FC Dallas in that game. I'm just saying, if you if get him going. Um, I was in some other games over the weekend. Uh, we go to another game over here with the big playoff implication in the West. Galaxy San Jose. That game is going to be in Los Angeles. Uh, San Jose hasn't been that good on the road, but they have been playing well as of late on the road, taking on the Galaxy who defeated Montreal in a midweek game with a few of their reserves, guys on the bench showing off their depth as, as they always have. Uh, they, the Galaxy might not have Landon Donovan and Omar Gonzalez this weekend, but I still think, though, the Galaxy with Robbie Keane at home will take care of business against San Jose. I agree. I mean, you, you're taking all the gimmies. You're not leaving me a whole hell of a well, lot what, what do you want me to say? I could, uh... oh, let, me, let, me, <laughs> let me pick first. You get, you, like, you're getting the pick first every time, especially on these easier ones. I'll tell you what. <laughs> L.A., no. They might not have Landon Donovan. They might not have Omar Gonzalez. I don't think it's going to matter. I think they're going to put yeah, I think they're going to put San Jose away. Uh, Robbie Keane, if he can go the full 90, I think him and Jossie Zardes will be a handful for the Earthquakes. And, and nothing – the Earthquakes have played better mm-hmm. in recent weeks. I'll give them that. But I just don't see them going in L.A. and taking three points. Could they get a draw out of it? Possibly. But they're a team that's going to need more than a draw, especially when Colorado and, and Vancouver are playing each other. One of those teams, you figure, is going to come away with the points in that series. If either of those teams, you know, barring Colorado and Vancouver playing to a pair of draws, San Jose can't afford to drop points in L.A. So I think I think it's going to be a tough one. I think it's going to be a physical one. Uh, these game, Those teams... Definitely do not like each other. Um, so, you know, I, th- I think it's going to be uh, a real physical battle, but I think LA at the end, they'll take it. I think Robbie Keane is, is, is going to have a breakout game there. And I think Jesse's artist is really coming on here late in the season and, and really looks like he's ready to be that third musketeer along with Landon Donovan to be that, that kind of third weapon mm-hmm. for them that they need in their attack. Yeah, he's looked really good over his last couple games, especially, I mean, started off with that Chivas USA performance. Uh, next game in the East, uh, two teams out of the playoff race looking to get back in the playoff race. New England, Columbus Crew, they're doing a home-and-home thing. Ivis, I-, I won't I won't steal your thunder, so I'll let you have first dibs at this game. <laughs> well, this is a pretty easy one. It is? I think, it's, why isn't it? New England is, <laughs> New England is playing well. New England's at home. They play much better at home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, look, I know the, crew's, the crew have played better under uh, Brian Bliss, and, uh, you know, barring, you know, last week's 1-0 loss to Sporting KC. They've done. They've started to play better, but New England. I just feel like New England, off of that draw against uh, against the Red Bulls, I think that really. I, re, I think that's the spark they needed because they feel like they got robbed in that game. That they came mm-hmm. out, they beat Montreal, and I think they're just going to get the job done here. You know, they. they, they I mean, it's a, it, again, once again, we have a two game series basically. Uh, New England, Columbus playing each other twice, and just looking at that matchup, I just you know, even the the one question mark is how will New England deal with the loss of Sire Sen? Uh, you know, losing him to, to a gruesome season-ending injury, uh, broken ankle. So, you know, now what do you do? I mean, is Agudelo going to definitely be able to carry the load? He's looked pretty good lately. You have the Agudelo, Fagundes, Kellen Rowe, uh, Lee Wynn. Well, well, Lee Wynn can't play in this game. He's suspended for this game. Well, there you go. You still have three. Yeah. You still got three guys. You still got Kellen Rowe, Diego Fagundes, Juan Agudelo. I think that's more than enough at home to get the job done. So I think you know. I don't know what's going on with Jerry Bankston. He go. He scores on the international scene, but he gets to New England. He hates it there. From what I understand, it the guy can't get <laughs> wait to get out of there. I think he actually uh, put it out there in the media and, and down in Honduras. I think they asked him, and he said, "Yeah, I just, I just don't want to be there anymore." So I don't know if he's someone you can count on, but I, th- I still think they have enough weapons. Mm-hmm. And above all. That New England defense is really tough to, to, to crack at home. Uh, Jose Gonzalez, for me, is a defender of the year. Like, not even close. Like, I'm telling you, the guys, for me, he should be running away with the award. Unfortunately, you know, you never know how voting goes because not everyone watches enough games. I think there's a lot of popularity contests involved. So maybe he doesn't win. He should win. He leads that defense, and I just think they're going to be too tough for Columbus to deal with. I agree. I mean, even without Lee Wynn in, in just this one game, New England's talent up front, I mean, especially going against a – Columbus defense that has been suspect at times this season. Uh, Ivis, over in the East, uh, the Houston Dynamo are going to be taking on the Red Bulls. Once again, we see 
the Dominic Kinnear side really just asserting itself. Point here uh, gets Houston officially in the playoffs. Red Bulls have already qualified for the playoffs. So I think the question around Reigns is, is what will Mike Petke do with this team? Will he? I, th- I think what he'll do, Ivan, is maybe give some of some guys some a rest, but but still try to get some minutes out of some guys and, and try to keep uh, everything they've been going. Because New York over the last couple of games, I think I think it's eight games. Ivis, they've looked outstanding over the last eight games. You're you're in pole position for the supporter shield. Why in the world would you rest anybody? That makes zero sense. He's going to put his full squad out there. You're playing a team that's a, that's going to be a, con- a rival in your conference. You're probably going to see them in the playoffs again. Why in the world would you not, would you not want to go back to Houston? and send a message by winning your second game there in a month. Uh, not, not only for that, but also for the Supporter Shield. I mean, you're talking about a club that has never won a legitimate piece of silverware in their history. And, and, and not to take anything away from the La Manga Cup or the Emirates Cup or the Eastern Division uh, trophy that they I don't even think exists anymore. I think it fell and broke, and they can't even find it. I mean, other than these rinky-dink uh, trophies, they've never won anything. They've never won an MLS Cup. They've never won a U.S. Open Cup, never won a Supporter Shield. Why in the world would they not do everything in their power to go after that Supporter Shield when it's right there in front of them? So they're going to play all their guys, everyone, all hands on, de- on, all hands on deck, whoever's healthy. They're going to go after Houston, and it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough because right now the Dynamo are playing, playing with much more confidence than the last time these teams met. The Red Bulls uh, on September 8th. Put a four-one smashing on Houston in Houston, but again, as we all as we know, they're a different team now. The Dynamo are playing with more confidence now. You're talking about Oscar Borne Garcia turning it up, Brad Davis coming off of his man of the match performance for the U.S. national team. They're going to be ready, and it's going to be a great game. And I think it's going to be a preview of what we can, what we probably will see in the playoffs. So, uh, I, for me, I think the Red Bulls can come away with a draw. Another win in Houston. I, I just think it's too much to ask. I think it's going to be. A pretty even game, a, a physical game. I think it's going to be a one-one, uh, and you know, I think I think that'll be a fair result. Uh, the final two games we didn't talk about are. Uh, wait, 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 wait. What's yes. your? Yes. Oh, What's for this it? one, I'll just say uh, New York wins again, two to one. Because um, just why not? Uh, the other two games we didn't talk about, Ivis. Uh, these are easy ones. The Chicago Fire taking on Toronto FC. No question, Chicago takes care of business. Yes. And the other one, Sporting Kansas City, DC United. Obviously, Sporting Kansas City. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Look, DC. You know they, they've, they've looked already... better. They've looked better, boy. No, but, but, well, but yeah, but they're also. I think all, a lot of players are all of a sudden coming up with season-ending injuries. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you've got guys that are already starting to look ahead to the 2014 and contract negotiations and and looking ahead to their next places of employment. Since I think some of these guys won't be back on DC next year. So yeah, I think Casey. Uh, they absolutely have no excuse to not take all three points. Well, there it is, Ivis, all the weekend's action. It's going to be exciting, man. All nine games have playoff implications. MLS on Friday, I'm sorry, excuse me, on Thursday, they released the schedule for the MLS playoffs. Uh, the knockout games are October 30th, 31st, uh, conference semifinals. You know what? Everyone can go to the website. Go to soccerbyivis.net to check out the uh, the um, the schedule. Also, Ivis, our party, since the MLS Cup Finals on December 7th, our party is going to be what? On Friday, December 6th? Yes, that's already we've already established. Okay, I'm just well. No, I'm just. I'm, is, is MLS Cup definitely on Saturday? Yes, it says right here MLS Cup. Def- if, if I'm reading this website correctly, which it has been known to falsify stuff, but it says December seventh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know it's strange. It's been on Sunday, you know, for the last few years. I, I wonder what that's. Uh, I might we might have to push push the party back to Thursday. I'm gonna have to look at that. We're gonna have to look at that because the, the the night before the game. You know, it's usually uh, other things going on, so we have, we're gonna have to look at that. But we will be wherever the final is. We will be there. We'll, we'll, we will be hosting a party. So everyone, get ready. Um, the other thing about the schedule that was interesting, uh, which is great, is Major League Soccer is gonna take a break for the uh, international uh, games for the FIFA, the FIFA dates for the U.S. Men's National Team. So there'll be no games when the U.S. plays their uh, their next games in November. Right. I mean, that's just common sense. Uh, it, it will. It, you know, it'll be a little strange. Uh, especially the conference finals, you know, you're going to have, you're going to play your first leg of the conference final. And then there's going to be a two week gap there between the first game and the second game. You're going to wonder how that affects teams when you talk about momentum and rhythm and, and having maybe too much of a break off. Uh, you're also going to have players, obviously you would think that are going to leave for international duty, especially when you have that much of a gap mm-hmm. and there's always risk of an injury, you know, say a player's playing in, in the, in the conference finals, 
and then gets hurt playing for the U.S. or any of these other, t- uh, you know, any other teams that might be playing that uh, during that window. So that's going to be something to watch. But um, you know, the the schedule, I was a little surprised. That, you know, that I'm looking at it. The final is on Saturday, December seventh. I mean, Saturday. To be fair, Saturday is a probably a better day uh, just uh, just to have the game and not have it go up against NFL games. Uh, but hey, that's what that's best day to party on the weekend wherever we may be. So we're gonna have to make do. Yeah, we we will make do. Uh, speaking of the U.S. men's national team, it was a little bit of a pipe dream, but we all kind of had an outside hope that the U.S. men's national team would finish in the uh, top eight of the FIFA World Rankings. But the the rankings came out for the draw that the FIFA is going to use in December. U.S. finished at 13. So not what we hoped, but uh, you know, from what Jurgen took over to where they are now, I mean, it's been a very impressive run of what Jurgen's been able to do with the U.S. men's national team. Right. I mean, I. I don't know if anyone realistically thought they had a chance at a seed. I know people threw out a lot of different permutations, yeah. but ultimately it was it, it was always a pretty ridiculous scenario that it was going to take for that to happen. Obviously, it didn't happen. Now, here's one thing I noticed is that now that we've had now that we know who the seeds are, mm-hmm. and now we have a sense of kind of what the groups could be like and what the pots could produce. I mean, you already have like the World Cup draw generator yeah, making I, the rounds saw, on I, the internet. I use it; it was depressing. It's well. No, but here's my thing, right? People are using it, and it's putting uh, putting it's putting together all these tough groups for the U.S. And I'm hearing all I'm hearing is like, oh man, we we're gonna have a group of death. We're gonna have a group of death. And I'm like, listen, guys, this is the best U.S. team, maybe ever. The maybe the deepest team ever. It's a it's a it's a good team. I'm not saying it's one of the best teams in the world. I'm not saying it's you know a, a World Cup contender, but it's a good team. Stop being afraid. See what happens. Let's get into one of these groups and let's see what happens. I mean, it, 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 I could see if it was one thing if the U.S. was backing into the World Cup, barely qualified, or in a playoff to qualify, as certain countries are. I, I could see then there being this kind of like fear and, and 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 shakiness from certain fans. But I'm sorry, folks. Just sack up and appreciate the fact that you have a good team right now, a tough team right now, a team that's that's maturing and, and improving before our eyes. And and you, you want to see these guys go up against against some tough teams to show what they can do. It, it, would it be better if they could have like the cushiest group imaginable get Switzerland as their pot, as their seated opponent in their pot? Sure. Yeah, that'd be great. But if it doesn't happen like it, you know what? It's going to be fine, folks, because guess what? In 2002, when the draw came out, Actually, it was actually in 2001. In 2001, when the World Cup draw came out and the U.S. was placed in a group with Portugal, South Korea, and Poland, nobody gave the U.S. a chance to get out of that group. You're you're talking about a Polish team that had been undefeated through qualifying, a Portugal team that was Portugal with their golden generation of stars, and the host country. No one thought the U.S. could get out of that group. Mm -hmm. They got out of that group. They got all the way to the quarterfinals. So, you know what? You can't always just be afraid of your groups. You know, you, ha- you have to look at the team that you have and you're rooting for. This U.S. team's a good team. And and think about it, between now and, and eight months from now, I just think the U.S. team is going to get better because you have a lot of younger players who are going to continue to improve, continue to mature. And this U.S. team's going to have a good chance. And, and you know, I, I'm not saying, you know, I'm pretty sure Klinsman doesn't want the toughest group imaginable. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, people need to stop with the, oh, my Lord, we're going to like this. This meteor is coming at us and, and it's going to be ugly. Have a little more faith in your team. Look at the results of mm-hmm. the past ye- year and have a, and, and just, you know, you should want to see that. You should want to see the U.S. against the best in the world on the biggest stage and see what happens. Well, yeah, think about what Jurgen's done. 1-0 in Italy, 1-0 in Mexico. I mean, come back in Bosnia. So, I mean, he's they've had some impressive wins since he's exactly, taken over. Exactly. Like, it's, uh, you know what? I'm not saying people should go, but should say, oh, we're going to beat everybody. No, but have some confidence and faith in his team. Like, I can see if if we were if if we were all Mexicans and we were in Mexico and we we're talking about the Mexican national team and potential draws from Imagine being a Mexico fan right now. And, and, and you know, if you, and because I can tell you right now, a lot of Mexican, there's a good number of Mexican fans that already just know, assume they're going to beat New Zealand, right? So imagine being a Mexico <laughs> fan right now and you're looking at the draw possibilities. Who do you feel good about beating? Who do you feel good about playing if you're Mexico right now? Nobody, like, right? I mean, so, it, it, like, given what the U.S. has been able to do, especially this past year, go on the road and get some really impressive results. You, you know, stop fearing 
the group of death and start considering the possibility that that could be an opportunity for the U.S. to really have a breakout, to really impress on the in, on the global stage and really have a chance to push that reputation to a new level. Well, speaking of all of that, Ivis, we have the next few months to discuss and debate the 23 players that Jurgen is going to be taking to Brazil. You had a piece on Goal.com, and uh, you broke down all the uh, the players who you think will be making it uh, to Brazil. And, I mean, there's still uh, some other opportunities for some guys to step up, some of the uh, international friendlies, also uh, the MLS Cup in January, which has served as, as a huge platform. But I think for the most part, Ivis, out of the 23 guys, you know, we're in the higher teens as far as set positions, still some for up to debate. But, uh, I mean, your piece on Goal.com broke it down pretty well. Uh, thank you. We, as, as everyone who reads SBI knows, we, you know, we, we put something out every month just to kind of gauge where the pool is. Uh, but obviously with the hex just wrapping up, I thought it was a good time to kind of take stock of where people stand now and, and, and what people should understand about the, the projected squad that I put together, mm-hmm. uh, on goal.com, you know, that that's the squad that, you know, looking at things right now, uh, and, and obviously things can change between now and eight months from now. Uh, I, I know some people will look at that list and think, well, John Brooks should be on it, but you know what, as of right now, he hasn't really broken through yet. Could he? Absolutely. He absolutely could. But you know what? This team is about where people stand right now, how they're looking going in into next year. I, I, you know, I know some other people prefer to tr- try to throw their long shots, their, their, their you know, pr- high upside projection picks so they can look smart down the road. But you know what? Looking at, I, you know, I pick the team more on what's going on yeah. right now. And, and, and that's the, 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 the better way to go about it. Because, you know, what? I can tell you what, for me, I think Steve Trundolo I think if he's healthy, I think he'll be on the team. But as of right now, can you really put him on a projected roster mm-hmm. if you don't know where you know how he's looking or how he's going to fit? Uh, I mean, as far as you know, staying healthy. So things will change. There could be injuries. There could be guys who come out of form. There could be guys who find better situations that help improve their stock. Someone like Maurice Adu or even a Breck Shea, if they find the right situation come January and they can make a loan move or a transfer move and, and end up in a position where they're playing more regularly, then you could see those guys move in as well. But the squad, you know, if we, we could run it down for now. Uh, I think it, it's a really solid group. And the really crazy thing is one, the depth of the team really shows when you actually sit down, put together a projected 23 and look at the leftovers. Because I can tell you what, man, you could put together a pretty decent team of the second tier guys. We saw that with, we saw that with the Gold Cup. Right. Well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And and in the 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 best thing you can look at as an example of the depth of how just how much more depth there is in the past few cycles, when it's come down to picking the World Cup team, it's usually been one, maybe one or two players. That people were like, wow, this guy didn't make it. Oh, I thought he was going to make it. There might have been one or two of those. This time around, I can tell you what, there's going to be more than a half dozen guys that that people are going to be like, man, he could have made it or he's good enough to have made it. This guy would have made it in other years. This guy might have started in other years. We're going to see that. I can tell you right now. Uh, all you have to do is just look at the people who didn't make the cut on, on the 23 that I projected because I, I thought it was a, I thought my projection was a pretty straightforward projection based on what Klinsman's done with his teams and what those guys have done in the games in the hex uh, and the and the Gold Cup combined. So it, you know it's a, it's a good deep group, man. And you know what? It might it might not have the superstars like the Cristiano Ronaldo's, Lionel Messi's, those types. But there's just more quality, more depth across the board than we've ever had on this yeah, team. It's all about the 11, man. So it takes 11 guys to win the game. No, it takes more than 11 in the World Cup, my friend. Well, you With know what I mean, but, but the 11 out there. Schedule, it, t- it, takes t- it takes 20, it takes 18 to 19 to 20 players when you talk about that tight, tight World Cup schedule. Well, I meant, I meant, I meant on the field. But, but okay, so we, we, I, I don't wanna, we don't need to go into too many details about this, about this list because – you know, you, you want people to check it out. But, I mean, you know, you have your usual suspects on there, as always. Josie Altidore, uh, you know, guys, Eddie Johnson, Landon Donovan. Uh, you had some younger guys on there, Ivis, Aaron Johansson. You know, I, I think the two names that people will will circle just because, you know, there's always going to be those people is, is the Kyle Beckerman and uh, Brad Evans for me. Those are the ones, too, that, that I think that, you know, for some reason people just want to hate on them for whatever reason. You can hate them all you want. It doesn't matter what those people think. It's what, what Jurgen Klinsmann thinks. And clearly... Jurgen Klinsmann has given both those guys opportunities over and over, mm-hmm. and 
And I, I, it's hard to argue. They've shown those, well. Those, they've shown well. And you know what? I, like, I, this is what gets me, right? Mm-hmm. If you, I can see if someone doesn't like a player. But when you get to a point where you, you refuse to just subjectively uh, evaluate a player just because of a personal like, dislike, whatever, I mean, it's like just shut up already. You know, if you don't like a guy and no matter what he does, you, you just like him, then just, just – just acknowledge that and don't just try to like nitpick every 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 performance. I mean, like Josie Altador is a perfect example, right? Yeah. Josie Altador, there are people who can't stand Josie Altador. And then and he goes on and destroys defenses for a few months. He's just on fire, can't stop scoring goals. And all of a sudden those people go away. And as soon as soon as he has a little bit of an, uh, a hiccup again or has a one or two games where he doesn't score, these people come right out of the woodwork. And it's like, listen, folks. Like, what are you like? Is is it your mission in life just to hate on these individual players? And no, not everyone that criticizes these guys are quote unquote haters. But we all know that there's just people who just don't like certain players, whether it's Kyle Beckerman, Graham Zussi, Sasha Kleshton. Yeah. Like all, it's just funny to me how like it's it, and it seems like it's always the same people come out of the woodwork just to bash these particular players. And I, I never understand what that's about. Well, it's the same thing with Dempsey right now. There's just always going to be haters for, oh, that, for, that for one, whatever that one, that one's mind-boggling to me. I mean, I get it on one level. I get it that there's a lot of uh, backlash over the way MLS handled that deal, paying the transfer. And, I mean, I, they, you can completely understand why folks in Portland are going to look at, at Clint Dempsey now as the face of, of what they feel is wrong with the way the league operates, right? So that's understandable. You totally get why why Clint Dempsey is going to go ahead and get booed louder than everyone else when he goes to Portland. That totally makes a lot of sense. But it's just funny to me that now you know here we, we're talking about he's clear. Look, he's clearly struggling, right? He's clearly uh, worn out. He looks like he needs a break. The the transition from you know having a preseason with a team, having to jump right in with the Sounders hasn't worked out well for him. Um, but it, it, like, have we really forgotten everything the guy's done, even just a year ago? Like, I just think I just think that's mind-boggling. He didn't all of a sudden become a mediocre to bad player because uh, of a few months, that a few tough months. Like, uh, the guy will be back. He'll get get this off season, he'll preseason, and I think come next year, mm-hmm. the guys. Re- I think just like just like you know Tim Cahill, perfect example last year. You know, he came right in from Europe, and he just it's, he didn't sell well once he had the offseason and the preseason with his team. Look at him now. He's an MVP candidate. I think that's what we're going to see out of Clint Dempsey, and uh, I think he's going to be there in Brazil, and he's going to be doing what he does. And, and you alluded to it before, but you talked about the depth the U.S. men's national team has, and when we look at the guys who haven't made the team, uh, I mean, there's some big notable names, guys who have even been on, at a World Cup team. I mean, you look at a guy like Hercules Gomez. I mean, yes, he's been injured, but... I mean, if you, I mean, a couple months ago, you'd say, no question he'd be in there. Guys like Joe Corona, Jose Torres, Sasha Kleshin. I mean, these are guys who have shown well in games recently under Jurgen that you don't even have them making making it to Brazil. And, I mean, it, on one hand, I mean, it's it's sad. You, we'd love to see these guys make it. But like you said, Ivis, it's great to have this competition and to have this depth and to have this, man, that guy's good. It's How did he not make the team? Right. I mean, that's, I mean, ultimately. We haven't had that. We haven't had that for years. I mean, when you when you think about the, the people who've kind of been on the fence and then barely didn't, you know, almost made it but didn't make it. I mean, you're talking about guys like Brian Ching, Taylor Twelman, uh, you know, good solid players. But I mean, the level of player we're going to see miss the cut this time around, mm-hmm. it's going to be a diff- it's going to be a different level, and and it's going to be a lot more of them. I mean, I, I mean, I'm telling you right now, we're going to see a half dozen to a dozen players who. You'll look at it and say, "Man, I could have seen him on the team," and that and that's unprecedented. Well, and for those guys that I mentioned, you know, obviously they're just on the outside looking in. There has to be some other guys. I mean, who needs to really step up over these next few months? Well, obviously, there's a lot of names on that list, but there's a few guys who are in situations that they they need to sort out in a hurry if they want to have a real chance. And some of the names we've already mentioned, uh, when you talk about Marie Sadu. And Breck Shea, both those guys at Stoke City. And you also have Juan Agadello who's about to go to Stoke City. And that one's a tricky one because, you know, he's he's playing well for New England right now. But you don't know what's what's going to be waiting for him there at Stoke City. If he goes to Stoke, doesn't get any playing time, there's not going to be an opportunity for him to work alone out. He's just pretty much going to be, uh, you know, in, in at end and, and really miss out on the World Cup, which, which you know, when you look at a player like him who can give you a bit of a dynamic element as, as, as a forward, uh, he's not – you can't rule him out. I think it, it with the qualities that he brings and the upside, he's someone who 
if he hits the ground running, it still could absolutely be in the mix. But Brexit and Moadu, Mo I think they they have to make moves. They have to somewhere because it just doesn't look like they're going to see playing time at Stoke. And, you know, for me, Marisa Du's a guy who, you know, when he's on, the guy can play. I mean, the 2010 World Cup, he, he was great off the bench. He, he's got, he has good qualities. He's someone who uh, Kyle Beckerman has clearly moved ahead of, and it's not going to be easy to catch Beckerman. But uh, if do wants a chance to do that, he needs to get out of Stoke, or at least get the loan for the second half of the season so he can get a, a half season of games under his belt, like he did when he went to Turkey. Uh, you know, that, that his loan spell in Turkey worked out really well for him. He played well, and uh, I think he needs to do that. And Breck Shea, you know, he, he, here's a guy who Jurgen Klinsmann clearly is a fan of, but he needs him to get games. He needs him to have get regular playing time, regain his confidence, uh, regain his form. And, and I, if he does that, I have no doubts Jurgen Klinsmann will have, bring him back into the fold and take a good long look at him. But he first he needs to get games. So those are guys that come to mind. Michael Parkhurst is another one. Parkhurst needs to get out of Augsburg. And, it's a, and then here's a tough one when you're talking about the guy's probably making more money than he's ever made in his career. He's got a family. We're like – is he going to walk away from that, leave that on the table, go play at a, at a level league, or, or even return to MLS? Is he ready to do that to chase his World Cup dream? That's one to look at. And then, and then one name that that you know, it's crazy that he's fallen out of the conversation is Timmy Chandler. Timmy Chandler's a guy who, on on the basis of of, of talent, should be on the team. He should be on the team. But we don't know what he wants to do. We don't know how committed he is or if he even cares about being on the U.S. anymore. Because I can tell you right now, there's a reason he's not getting called up anymore. Jurgen Klinsmann has gotten tired of, of, of whatever act Chandler's been putting putting on. And he's like, you know what? If you're not going to commit yourself, if, you don't, if, you, if you'd rather stay with your club team and you can't commit to us, we're not going to bother. We're going to move on. We're going to look at other options. And you can respect that, especially, look, as good as the team is, as well as the team is playing now, you, you can't you can't uh, you know bend over backwards for these guys. You know they have to want to play for the shirt. They have to want to represent the U.S. and and it's crazy uh, to think that now that he's actually cap tied, that he might not want to give his all and play in a World Cup. It's pretty. I, I just think it's crazy uh, to think that he could be wasting that opportunity because I can tell you what, folks, the guy is good enough to play on this team. Anyone who sits there and acts like Timmy Chandler is not good enough to play on this world on this U.S. team is crazy and maybe only watched him play that one game against Honduras in Honduras where, yes, he was bad. He had a bad game, but he certainly wasn't alone in having a bad game that day. He's a guy who, if he gets his head on straight, commits himself to the U.S., Pinsman brings him back into the fold, he can not only come in and make the team, he absolutely could be the right back in Brazil. Look at you. You're like channeling the uh, Mexican announcer some the other night. Got to play for yeah. the jersey. Yeah, I know. No, that that was the most epic, <laughs> epic TV, oh, epic call ever. Yeah. And, it, and I tell you what, folks, and I, I, you know, I don't know if everyone has understood the call or has heard the translations by now, but it, like, you, you're just never gonna see an American announcer do that because no. I mean that was just basically it was like the equivalent of a fan getting on uh, and just ripping the hell out of his own team. But it was classic. I mean, he pretty much was like. The Americans, the, the Americans saved us, not you. You don't play for the shirt. They play for the shirt. It was just, it was priceless. It was priceless. And I tell you what, just that call alone made made saving Mexico worthwhile because it was unbelievable. Well, I was speaking of Mexico. It looks like we have another coaching change on our hands. What's going on with El Tri? They're in disaster mode. Uh, you know, we all when they hired Victor Manuel Vucetich, uh, a, a well-respected coach who's won a, a ton of trophies on the club level. You know, you I, I for one thought he would be the guy to help kind of right the ship, straighten things out. But I mean, they gave him, you know, they gave him two games. He got one win, and then he got the loss, and now he's out of there. Now, now he's been apparently reports are that he's been given the boot. Uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, and now Club America's coach, Miguel Herrera, is, is looks like he's going to take over the job. And now that's going to make four different coaches in about 40 days. It's just it's just straight panic time down in Mexico. And, and, and here's the thing, right? They're playing New Zealand. They're playing a weak, a weak New Zealand team who on some levels could definitely cause problems with them just as far as the matchup and just the way they play. They're a very defensive-minded team. 
they're going to bunker in. They're going to frustrate a Mexico team that's not in great form. Uh, but, you know, do you fire? Do you really fire another manager? I, I don't know. I think it's crazy. But, you know, obviously they have they have a month to work with now. They have, the, you know, apparently they're going to bring the new manager in, uh, Miguel Herrera, and, and he's probably going to bring in a lot of players from Club America. Uh, so it, it, it's 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 a disaster. And if you're a U.S. fan, you have to be loving it right now, loving it. Think about this, right? It was just two years ago where Mexico's defeat of the U.S. led to Bob Bradley's firing. They got him fired because their four goal romp in the four in, in the Gold Cup final. Yeah. When they scored four unanswered goals, that led directly to Bob Bradley getting fired, and 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 now here we are two years later, and it's like the revenge. It's like Bradley's ghost has come back, and now and now Mexico is on the other end of the that of that, you know. And it's it's crazy. It's crazy. I th- I still think Mexico makes it. Uh, I think I think they'll break through New Zealand. Uh, uh, you know, no matter who the manager is, uh, but it's just not a good look right now. It is not. Uh, it's not good times to be a Mexico fan. No, not at all. And, and it's funny you say the the U.S. men's national team. If you're a U.S. fan, you obviously you're happy about this. And that we this goes into the argument from from the other night with Tuesday with people, you know, hoping for the U.S. men's national team, you know, that they would lose just to knock out Mexico or whatever. But I think you're going to see most people cheering for New Zealand. I would like to see Mexico in the World Cup. I think it's just better in terms of just revenue and exposure for the for Concacaf region. But we'll see what happens. I also always remember that loss that Bob Bradley had because I lost eighty bucks after that game. So I was <laughs> I was not too happy about that. Yeah, there were there were a few any any American fans in those bowl that day uh, came away pretty sad and, oh. and dejected. And I tell you right now, the U.S. players are loving it. Uh, Tim Howard especially because I remember Tim Howard after that Gold Cup final being just. Oh so yeah, angry at at the whole scene there. The, so. Even the the post game celebration too, being in Spanish. I remember he went off about that too. I mean, it was it was even after the game too that it continued. Yeah, no, it was it was crazy. But you know what? It, that's the thing, man. It's soccer, the way soccer works, it's a it's a cyclical thing. Uh, and you know, the U.S. is on an amazing run, but you know, it's gonna there's gonna come a point when things you know die down, and Mexico is gonna turn it around at a certain point. So right now, if you're a U.S. fan, enjoy enjoy Mexico's misery. Because it doesn't always come around. <laughs> That's very evil the way you said that right there. Hey man, I, hey, come, I'm just come around. Right. I'm, I'm, it's hey, you know what? What goes around comes around. The U.S. is gonna, the U.S. is gonna struggle too. It happens. No, that will, that will, that, false. That will never happen. Come, it, come on, listen. Guys. Doesn't matter who you are. Team, great teams miss World Cups. Netherlands, France, England, mm-hmm. like all it, these teams have had their their points. They they go up and down. I mean, I was just just remembering France, right? France when they won, they won they won the World Cup in 1998, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't even make the 94 World Cup. So I mean, that just shows you, you know, how things can go, you know, up and down. So right now, the the U.S. is on a peak. They're they're peaking. They're streaking. They're on a high. Mm-hmm. Everything's a lot of things going right. And then you have Mexico, who's just you know, they've got one out of paper for a manager because they just keep firing managers. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. And uh, I guess when, when you talk about just performances for certain players from the U.S. men's national team, that helped Mexico. Graham Zuzi was an animal over the weekend, two goals, gets that goal for the U.S. And, uh, I mean, he's a savior in Mexico in the praise and, and pictures and um, memorials and, and, I mean, the art. I mean, everything for him has been it's been, it's been very funny and, and very awesome at the same time. Right, I mean it's it's not quite on the level of Bornstein love in Honduras back in, in two thousand nine, but it has been it has been pretty impressive just seeing all the stuff that's uh, gone on around that that special goal. And I'd say one thing, I mean, if I, Mexican fans should, what, should be thinking uh, Michael Orozco, you know, it's, I know Zussi scored that basically the goal that did it, but you know Orozco has Me- Mexican descent, plays in Mexico, and got so much abuse. In Mexico, after he scored the game winner in Azteca last year to give the U.S. their first win in Azteca, um, you know he he got he got a ton of abuse. Uh, but so now, if anything, they should turn it around and make sure they give him a lot of love because if he doesn't score that volley, uh, you know they, the Panama could have run away with that game. You know, that 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 made it one one and it helped uh, even things out a bit. So uh, you know, I think hopefully he gets a little more. A little more praise. Uh, nothing against Zussi. Zussi definitely deserves some of his. And it was definitely funny seeing pictures of him 
uh, rocking the oversized sombrero yeah. and and then like the saintly attire they put on him. So that that, that was pretty. I thought that was pretty. Fun. Yeah, it was, it was it was great. Um, and great for Graham Zuzzi too. Guy has really come into his own since he took advantage of that January call up camp, which I'm sure we'll see some other guys do. Ivis, we have reached the end of the show. I mean, it's the SBI Q&A. As always, everyone can send questions in on Twitter. Hashtag AskTheSBIShow at, at any time. We always look and see what you guys give us. First question comes from Matthew Mueller. On Hex and Club form, no Gold Cup, why is Donovan a better option at right mid or left mid than Bedoya, Zuzi, or Fabian? Uh, so, okay, why are you singling out very specific things because let, let, let's look at it first now because I know what he's getting at. In the last couple of weeks, couple of weeks, Landon Donovan hasn't done that well. But all this other time before that, he's been outstanding. He's been out of his mind on the club and national team level since coming back from his sabbatical. Out of, I mean, he's been playing at an absolutely incredible level. Yet now he had a few bad weeks because he's been playing with an ankle injury. And now you're going to seriously sit there and ask, why is he a better option? He's a better option because he's better than those guys. Because he is the best player at the position when 100% healthy. Already come back and shown he can play at a very high level. And it wasn't just the Gold Cup. Did, I, did you really forget the performance against Mexico in Columbus? He ju- Just that recently, he played the game. Now, has he had you know some stinkers along the way since then? Oh, against Jamaica, he was pretty non-existent. But it was pretty clear he's he's playing with an injury, as we saw on against Montreal with the Galaxy. He didn't even play in that game, so he's dealing with some issues physically. And he is 100% healthy. It is not a question. He is still one of the best options overall, clear cut option that you start on the wing. Not not to take anything away from those other guys, but you know Bedoya, Zusi, Fabian Johnson, they've all. Developed to a point where they're giving Klinsman options. But if you're asking me who I take to fill out my lineups at the start, uh, I'm building my lineup. If I'm Jurgen Klinsman on the wings, I'm getting Landon Donovan on that, on that field. And if that means Fabian Johnson playing left back or playing right back or playing opposite of him, then mm-hmm. that's fine. But Landon Donovan, if he's healthy, will be in the starting lineup and he'll be there because he's just that good. Next question comes from CM Gunnels. If quality of play is Major League Soccer's biggest hurdle for TV success, how do they fix that quickly? I would say get better quality. What? Get what? Get better players. Speak up, son. If you're going to make a statement, say it with authority. Get better players. Yes. Yes. It's tough. It's tough, tough, right? I mean, quality of play in MLS is not up to par with the English Premier League, with La Liga, with the Bundesliga. I will grant anybody that. But that being said, I think the league doesn't get as much credit as as it deserves for having improved in in many ways. Does it need to get better? Yes. Do they need to spend more money and and hopefully bring in some better talent across the board? Yes. I think that would help. Uh, But here's the question, right? Do Do you go on the high end and try to bring in a dozen multi-million dollar DP type players and flood them along across the league. Will that be the impact? Will that be the, the, the move that really moves the needle from a TV rating standpoint? Is that really what it's going to be? Or is it just going to come down to teams doing a better job of spending the money they do have to sign better players and for coaches to do a better job of, of playing styles that are attractive soccer and that's you know there's there's a lot of questions there because because you know you could make the argument that it's not just about players you could make the argument that is coaching an issue because you're talking about right now you have a league full of coaches that uh, there aren't there aren't a ton of super experienced coaches in this league right now and that's not the an inexperienced coach is automatically a bad coach but at a certain point does that not roll as well right I mean I do think yes. Spend more money. That's the easy answer. I agree. I, I, hey, I'm all for every team getting $10 million, $20 million to spend. I'm, all, I'm down with that. I don't know who's going to pay that. I don't know what owners are going to, you know, just come out of pocket and say, okay, I'm ready to spend, you know, $8 million more million a year. Is but that because that's the thing that it's way too easy to say that. It's way too easy to say, oh, get better players, spend more money. Let's go just, you know, raid Europe and bring all their top players. It's easier than done, my man, because that is at the end of the day, someone has to pay that bill. So, Barring that, barring, you know, failing that, uh, getting, you know, these rich owners to just start 
throwing piles of cash at players. If that's not going to happen, then what are the other steps you can take? They can do a better job of scouting. They can do a better job on the academy front of producing more talent on the academy level. And coaching. I think coaching is an issue as well. I think the level of coaching in MLS is not as good as it ha- is, has been in years past. And I think, you know, it, it, it there is this trend now of inexperienced coaches getting hired. And some of them clearly are up to par and some of them clearly are not. So that, that that's another issue I think the league needs to address. Teams need to address. Teams need to do a better job when it comes to searching for their coaches uh, of picking coaches that, you know, have the quality and have the the, the tools to succeed in this league. And, and I think, you know, I think if anything right now, there there's a lot of coaching dead weight in the league. All right. Next question comes from Robert Burns. Why in the world will the MLS schedule makers put Vancouver, Colorado back-to-back to end the regular season? I would only assume is because they thought those teams would, would suck. Yeah, Robert. I mean, you asked that question as if you knew both those teams were going to be in the thick of a yeah. playoff race. I will agree in this, in this sense. Uh, it is a little odd to have teams, any teams, uh, finishing the year with back-to-backs. I mean, that doesn't it, – it just seems like that should be – you should be able to avoid that, right? And, and, and this year, not only do we have that happening on two occasions with two, with two sets of teams, but in both occasions, the, the teams in question are in the, mi- in the middle of play pushes. So it's interesting. It's weird. It's a weird kind of glitch. It's something the league should try to look at avoiding – in the future, but you know, to be fair, uh, if if it became a situation where they they couldn't avoid it and they had to pick certain matchups, I, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know how many people would have had Vancouver and Colorado pushing, fighting for a playoff spot, and or how many people would have had New England and Columbus fighting for for playoff spots. So you know what? It's not as if they had Real Salt Lake in Seattle or, or LA and Seattle playing a home and homes. Then it'd be like, what in the world is wrong with you guys? You knew these teams were going to be among the title contenders, so why would you have them play each other? I kind of get it. Uh, you know, it, maybe it was a situation where it couldn't be avoided. They had to pick some matchups that they had to cross their fingers would not matter as much. And unfortunately, now we have this situation. But you know what? It's going to work out in a way because now you've got two two matchups that are pretty much going to work as playoffs. They're going to be early playoffs, and I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, next question comes from Kevin Weaselow. What are the November friendlies going to be made up of? Any surprises on the roster? I just think it's going to be a pretty European-based, uh, European-heavy lineup. See, that's the thing, right? It's tough with Jurgen because Jurgen is—he definitely does things his own way, and, and it's just easy to kind of assume that he's going to do a lot of the things that have been done in the past. But uh, now that you have this international window. Uh, where you know MLS is taking a break from the playoffs, there's no reason he can't call in guys uh, who are in the middle of their of their conference finals. You know, we, I mean, people like Matt Beesler, Omar Gonzalez, Landon Donovan, uh, Kyle Brandt, Nick Romando. I mean, all these guys could very well be in the middle of playoff a uh, uh, playoff series. So uh, you would think Klinsman would would not call those guys in, but now I, I don't know anymore. I don't, I, I got to tell you because going on past history, you would think okay, let's just call European guys in. Why have these MLS guys fly in across the you know across the pond uh, to play in, in these friendlies when they when they're um, in the middle of playoff? But it goes back to what he's been saying for a while now. There's only certain there's only so many international windows. You want to get your strongest team together mm-hmm. as many times as you can, and I totally get that now. And so going forward, uh, I don't think we should ever be surprised about the fact that Klinsman wants his best guys in. Any chance he can have them. Uh, next question comes from Brian Weagle. Do you think FIFA will still give CONCACAF three and a half spots next World Cup cycle? Uh, that's really going to depend on what happens in the World Cup. You know, I, I think I think people that are looking at the CONCACAF, at the hex and the way the hex played out, and are, and they're trying to make judgments on on the quality of the of the feder of the confederation based on that are really misguided. You know, because the the fact that you know Mexico struggled the way it did, and the fact that uh, you know, a team with only ends is is now getting a chance to play in a playoff for a World Cup spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should be looking at the at the hex. At, you should be looking at Concacaf and the overall quality and how it has improved, uh, and, and not assume that you know oh the the quality is down. I mean, what we, we we're going to need to see is how the Concacaf contingent does in the World Cup. If Concacaf's three teams or four, if Mexico wins, let's just say four, if Mexico wins. 
if the four CONCACAF teams go to Brazil and lay an egg and go 0 for, you know, 12 and don't win a game or, or, or you know, don't – if they have that terrible a tournament, then, I, then you know, there's definitely going to be calls for taking away at least the half spot. Uh, I could absolutely see that. But you know what? Who knows? You know what? Maybe Mexico straightens things out. Maybe Costa Rica surprises people. And maybe the U.S. – takes control in a group of death and, and shocks the world and, and, and makes a run. And if those things happen, then instead of talking about three and a half, then maybe they should start talking about four. But I th- for me, I think three is a good number. I, I, think, I think people who are acting like, uh, oh, it's too many, it's too many, I think, I think they're too caught up in the results now and the results of this hex. Uh, the next question comes from Eric Zavaleta's brother, Javier. How fair are the seedings and <laughs> ranking for the World Cup, especially when a team like Uruguay – hasn't qualified, gets a seed. Yeah, Ivis, that is unfair. Enough with the fair and the unfair. Get over it. <laughs> you know, I think I'm more disappointed at the fact that I actually saw Eric Zavaleta play on Monday in Portland, mm. and I didn't think to stop him and ask him if he's related to Javier Zavaleta. You should, you should ask. Well, I didn't actually see him after the match. I, they, they took off. The Sounders took off in like a back, a back door. I don't know. How, actually, I ran into Andy Rose out front of Joe when – uh, field and had a good chat with him, but I did see Zavaleta, so I wasn't able to ask him if he's related to Javier. Uh, but back to the, the the question: Yeah, is it a perfect system? No, by 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 means is it a perfect system? Uh, when you talk about the fact that you know teams like Belgium and Colombia that haven't made the World Cup uh, in a long time uh, are seated over teams like Italy and the and Netherlands, who have obviously been uh, part. You know, taking parts in, in World Cups for years. I think that's a little strange. Uh, and, you know, I agree. Ur- Uruguay, that's a tough one, you know, considering how, how how bad a qualifying cycle they had. I think they benefited maybe from 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 their schedule and, 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 and the non-qualifiers they've played to help boost their rating. Um, but, hey, Uruguay was a top-four team in the last World Cup, so why shouldn't they, uh, you know, I don't think that, that it's completely out of left field. But you know what? It's not a great system. They need to come up with something better because you know, I, I don't know if I don't know how many people are happy with the way the thing is set up this time around. Except maybe people from Switzerland because somehow Switzerland is in the yeah. seated pot. Yeah, I, that, I don't get that one. That's a head scratcher. But you know what? Hey, all it means is everyone's going to be hoping to be drawn into their pot. Yeah, exactly. Uh, next question comes from Chris McGuffin. What do you think of the Premier League's lack of English players? Is it bad for a league to not have its domestic talent within it? And, I mean, obviously, this is a, actually a very hot topic that's been discussed over the last couple of years in England, especially with the uh, the way the national team has performed. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, other leagues uh, have safeguards to, to prevent this kind of thing from happening. You know, you have uh, limits on foreign players and, 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 and more emphasis on player development to make sure that not only are you developing talent, but that that talent has a place to play. And because of that, I think the the Premier League has suffered because along with all the success the Premier League has had, you know, it's really pushed aside uh, the English player and, and, and uh, created less opportunities for English players. So I think they're paying the price for that uh, because when you think about the quality of that league compared to the quality of the national team, it just doesn't stack up. And there's a reason for that. So, uh, I, I think they're, it's something they're going to have to figure out. They're going to have to try to maybe put in some kind of uh, some kind of limits, some kind of quotas, some kind of uh, safeguards to make sure that their next generation of players has a place to play because it's not uh, it's clearly not working for them, right? I mean, you would think playing in what many people consider the best league in the world, your national team should be much better than it's been. Next question comes from Eric Wilderson: Do the Timbers win their next two? I will say yes, Ivis, and they win the Supporters' Shield. Well, uh, speaking of Eric Wilson, I actually uh, had the, the good fortune of, of hanging out with Eric. We watched Egypt-Ghana uh, together at the four four two soccer bar in Portland. Uh, Eric helped set up for them to open up early for us, and the, they were kind enough to open up at 8.30 a.m. Uh, had a nice breakfast over there. Great spot. Uh, I look forward to going back there mm-hmm. uh, whenever the next trip to Portland comes. But uh Eric, uh, Eric, Eric was a kind host. So th- thanks for that, Eric. Uh, as far as the win, the Timbers winning their next two, uh, I think they do. I think they do. I mean, it comes down to this Salt Lake game, right? Because they're gonna. I mean, you have to think they're gonna beat Chivas in their finale. Um, but this Salt Lake game, uh, they're missing probably Valerian and Rudy. That's that's tough. 
Uh, but I still think they win. I think it's going to be another one nil, another nail biter. Uh, I think Will Johnson steps up with a goal and they take it one zero, and then and then move on and beat Chivas. Uh, next question comes from Off the Woodworks. It was like X at the end of it. Uh, will Montreal make the playoffs? Ooh, that's a tough one. They're struggling right now, and but they play Philly and a Philly team that they crushed in Montreal the last time these teams played. That is such a coin flip. Because here's the thing with Montreal, right? As badly as they've played, uh, they they closed the season out uh, with a game against uh, Toronto. And, you know, if you, if you want to – you don't want to assume anything. You don't want to take anything for granted. But there aren't many opponents – you want to finish your season off with more than Toronto FC with, with, with their – you know, their players are clearly thinking about their vacations and – packing their bags because they're probably never going to come back to Toronto again. So if you're going to knock Mon- if you're going to keep Montreal out of the playoffs, Philly needs to win in Montreal. Can they do it? You know what? I think they I think they will. I think Montreal's really really hit a bad run of form. They're 0 5 and 1 in their past 6. And, and I think Philly, you know, they they've actually had some pretty good results on the road this year. So I think Philly's going to pull a bit I don't even want to call it a stunner or a shocker. I think Philly Gets it done. I think their young team gets, gets takes a step closer to the playoffs, knocks out Montreal. Uh, and the final question comes from Andrew Schmidt. The Northwest has been a real renaissance for good MLS soccer. If the Southeast ends up as the focus of expansion teams, what level of quality can we expect? That's going to boil down to the ownership groups and, and, and what kind of job they do uh, of building the, you know, the front offices, uh, hiring the right people to lead and, and, and handle the player per, personnel side. Uh, because, listen, for all the success that Portland and Seattle have had, uh, you know, they've also done a good job with some hires. Because, I mean, uh, you know, say what you want now. I know I know, Siggy Schmidt. Uh, I think, so, you know, some folks in Seattle can't stand Siggy Schmidt for whatever reason. He, you know, he's done it. I thought I think he's done a really good job there. They've built themselves a really good team there. Portland, now with Caleb Porter in charge, uh, working with Gavin Wilkinson, They've done a really good job building a team there. And so it, can't, it isn't just enough to say, oh, we're going to have great fans. You have to build a winner. You have to build an attractive team, a good team to watch. And you still have to see who these expansion teams hire to run them. Because, look, Orlando City, when it comes to social media, yes, they have it, they have it, they've done an amazing job on a grassroots level of, of promoting the idea of an Orlando City team. But that's a far cry from actually – Building the team, building a pro team, hiring the right GM, hiring the right head coach. So we have to see that before we really can tell what's going to happen down there. Because you know what? It's tough to succeed down in Miami as a pro team. If Miami gets a, Miami gets a franchise, they have to hire the right people to build a winner there. Because if they don't, it could be a complete disaster. So it, it all it all comes down to that. We won't know until we get a better idea of how these teams shape up before anyone can really make projections about what kind of success the league's going to have down there. That's true. Um, Ivis, there's a question here that, that that we did not discuss, but I got tagged in it, and I think you'll like it. Honestly, here's the question. Honestly, how hard does New Jersey ball slash produce U.S. men's national team talent? Altidore, Bradley, Howard, Ramos, Rania, Harks, and then he has New Jersey over Arizona, which is stupid because Arizona, <laughs> we have Robbie Finley, Okay. Don't even do it yourself. Pablo don't, Mas- don't even, Pablo. We have Pablo. Even. We have mixed. We have mixed. We have mixed Discarude. And I don't see that. I don't see that question. And we have Brad Evans. Oh, there's no hashtag on it. He didn't do the hashtag. So I'm bringing it. I'm bringing it. Did out he tag you or did he tag me? We tagged at, at AZ Kicks it and at uh, Soccer by Ivis. But I mean, I've already run through four guys from Arizona that play for the national team. Oh, here we team. go. Here we go. Uh, let's see. Yeah, but we're talking about all time. I mean, the U.S. has done it consistently through the years. I mean, the goalkeepers, we got Miola, we got Tim Howard. Uh, midfielders, come on, Claudio Reyna and Michael Bradley. That's the, one of the best of all time and, and one of the future future captains, John Harks. I mean, come on, Reyna, Bradley, Harks. I mean, touch that. I mean, that's, that's, Arizona, could take, Arizona could take him on, dude. Stop it. You know what? I tell you what, an all New Jersey team right now, all just current New Jersey guys would, would be that would be in Arizona. No, I'm sorry. You know what? You got, and I tell you what, you guys do have some talent. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. You got let's see, you got Nick DeLeon, you got Danny Danny Cruz, Luis Robles, Tony Cassio, Brad Evans. Brad, Brad Evans. You got all, you know what? You guys have a really good team, but 
you're not beating the U.S. You're not beating the U.S. Especially if we can if we can add if we can have everyone who was born in Jersey. I mean, come on. We got Michael Bradley, Josie Altador, Alejandro Bedoya, Tim Howard, Giuseppe Rossi. What's up? Come on. Oh my Forget God. about it. Forget about it. I know. New Jersey would probably kick Arizona's butt. The future of Arizona, I'll tell you, it's pretty bright. But uh, we'll have to talk about that 10 years from now. Well, I will tell you what. The, the names I just rattled off for Arizona, that's pretty damn impressive, man. They, I mean, yeah. five years, if even five years ago, there wasn't much of a presence at all. No, 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 no. no. Like, I mean, all these guys that I just mentioned have really come along recently, and, and they're, they're cranking it out over there. So everyone knows about California. California cranks out more talent than everybody. We yeah. already know about that. Texas, obviously... They've stepped it up through the years. Florida's doing a good job now as well. Uh, so, I mean, those are the states that come to mind. And obviously, Jersey, Jersey's been doing it for years. But Arizona, man, Arizona deserves a little credit now when you you know looking at some of those names. I know. It's amazing, especially for being the soccer wasteland that our state is. <laughs> yeah, man. But it's, it's, hey, you know what? They give you enough to talk about. So, What do you mean? Oh, oh, yeah, my website. Yeah, there's, there's enough news. We just don't have. We, hey, hey, we you may get all ne- nervous. Like, wait, what? we, we, we may never get a professional team, but you know, I can dream. Just keep producing that talent. Man. That's all. That exactly, especially with the academy that has all the AZ boys. Don't worry, man. Don't you worry. Well, I was it, the- it, 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 maybe in ten years, maybe then Arizona could could hang with Jersey in. A, in a, I, a hey, I seriously, if it works out, then I'll be jumping for joy, man. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be the happiest person, man. Well. Ivis, that wraps up the show, man. Uh, I think we talked about everything. I mean, I can't think of anything that we missed. Uh, no, that's it, man. That's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, we can get into the women's game and we can get into the NESL, but maybe we'll do that next week. Uh, yeah, let's. Let's. It's. It's a little late for me. I'm a little tired, so uh, I, I need. I need to get my rest. Of a big weekend, so I'm sure you have a big weekend too. So that's it, man. I'll. Uh, I'll let you go, and uh, you have a good weekend. I'll talk to you next week. All right, man. And as always, as always, excuse me, I don't know what that was about. Yeah, it's it's too late. It's, it's yeah, it's definitely late. Well, I, I, as always, everyone, thank you for everything. Thank you for the support, comments, and everything you do for us, for Ivis and myself. This is the SBI Show.